the book of Acts chapter 19, today's title did not come to me till around, I'm going to say 10.30, somewhere in there. I usually have a, <clears throat> a title a lot sooner than that. But today's title, and I, I'm amazed how the Lord does things, <clears throat> but today's title is The Gospel Comes to an Unlikely Place. The Gospel Comes to an Unlikely Place. Let's pray over this before we begin this morning. Father, we come to you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. God, we give you thanks for your presence with us today. Lord, we can all testify to your goodness to us this morning here that you have graced us with your presence. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus. Father, we come to you now as we get ready to start this lesson here that you've given us and this is God-ordained message for this day. We know now, Lord, because of the way things have worked out. And we stand in awe and amazement how that you know the future before it ever happens. But today as we look into these words of truth, may we learn and glean from them today the things we need for our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The gospel comes to an unlikely place. The, the gospel is getting ready to come to a city named Ephesus. <clears throat> previously, the gospel had not come there. Previously, the gospel had been forbidden to be preached in Asia, remember, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But as we get started, I just I, it, it amazed me how I, I was thinking about this. and We spoke a minute ago about our brother James. And he fussed at me for talking very much about him. But he had a special place in my heart. And that's what we need to do when people come to us and say, I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know if I can ever be good enough. Tell them, absolutely, no, you can't. You never were going to be good enough, and you never can be good enough. That's why it is about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sure, we make an effort. Sure, we try to do the best we can. But praise God for the amazing grace that Jesus gave us on that cross. Amen. And what I wanted to talk to you about was it was an unlikely city named Ephesus. It was a very common thing to worship idols there, just like it was pretty much everywhere they went in the book of Acts. Was a was ungodly cities and ungodly places where it was right out on the street corner. They didn't hide it a bit. They worshipped false gods. They did impure things in front of people, and everything and anything was accepted. And so it was an unlikely place that the gospel would go here. And even like we said, and we're going to find out in a minute, in Acts chapter 16 from a couple weeks ago, we'll remember, God forbid them to go anywhere in Asia at that time. God had another plan. And then this is about two years later, at least two years, somewhere in the neighborhood of two years, maybe even three or four, we don't know exactly. But at least about two years later, now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit puts it upon Paul's heart to begin to take the gospel into that place previously it was neglected from it. And that's why the title of our lesson is called The Gospel Comes to an Unlikely Place. Our brother came here a few years ago, the first time I ever met Brother James, and he was an unlikely candidate. Don't you think that the devil had beat him up for years? Saying, you've wasted your life. He told me that one time. He said, he beats me up all the time that I've wasted my life and I could have done more for the Lord. I could have turned to Him earlier. On and on and on. And you know how the devil will beat people up. 
but he was an unlikely candidate. But he called me up one day, and before that, I'll just tell you how we met. We were here just having a regular church service, and his wife came by, which was Donna, and she said, uh, we just wanted to visit. We didn't uh, we've tried a few other churches, but we just didn't like this, that, or the other, and so we thought we would try here. And she came here and she said, something is different here. I'm going to bring my husband next week. And once I got to know him and realized what a, tr a, a troubling thing that was, I had a lot of social anxiety over different things. And to the fact of them to even come into a, a, a strange place, People they didn't know. They, didn't just, they just didn't like being around a lot of people. They were very uncomfortable with that. But for whatever reason, they ended up coming back. Brother James liked it. And a few months went by, and they come pretty regular for a while. And he called me up on the phone one day and said, if it's not too much trouble, could I come by one day and just, we, we have a few questions we'd like to talk to you. And that's when I learned about our brother James, that he was an unlikely candidate for the gospel. But I'll never forget sitting right there where Michelle's at today. He and his wife sat there. And we prayed the sinner's prayer together. And we talked about how we're all unworthy. And there's nothing we could ever do to be worthy of what Jesus went through for us. But I can say they left here that day with a smile on their face. Knowing they had been saved. And not a few months later we were able to be part of a water baptism down at New River. And that was the whole thing with Donna. She, was, she had been raised in a whole different denomination. Everything was different for her, but she said, I want to get baptized. We asked Brother James if he wanted to also, and he said, well, he said, I, I don't know if I'm ready or not. There's a lot of people around, so I just don't know. I may wait. I said, well, brother, whatever you want to do. Well, it came Donna's turn to go down in the water, and here she comes, and she got baptized. Brother James, when she came out of the water, he said, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Next thing you know, off come them shoes. He come up out of that walker and he come down into that water with us. And we weren't able to get him completely under the water because he had a heart condition and the cold water shocked him and he got a little nervous and stuff. But anyways, he went into the water in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. And when he come out of there, he was still a little bit upset about it. He said, oh, I wished I could have went all the way down like I was supposed to, like normal people do. And I said, don't you worry about it. You uh, demonstrated your faith in front of all these people and God Almighty and you're born again. I know it for a fact that you're saved today. So, but it came to an unlikely man in our brother. But now I want to talk to you today about an unlikely city in the name of Ephesus. Put your name right there. Take Brother James's name out and put your name in that statement. You were an unlikely candidate to receive Jesus. Some of us may have been fortunate to be raised up in church, but that doesn't mean we was a likely candidate. A lot of people raised up in church get bitter and turn and go the other way. Right? Some people have been raised and never went to church and they just don't know anything about it so they're unlikely. So put your name right there in that sentence. You were also an unlikely candidate for the gospel. But by the grace of God and the working of the Holy Spirit, God found you with that message one day that I'll forgive you of your sins. Just accept my son Jesus as your Savior. He accomplished it all on the cross. And we would a lot of times think, and that was one of the hang-ups that they had. What do I need to do? I'd say, I need to do something to show them worthy. No, you don't. Just love the Lord. And when you fall in love with the Lord, guess what? 
things will start to fall in place of what you should and shouldn't do and what you need to be doing. Amen? So we're all unlikely candidates, and so was the city of Ephesus. And that's where I'd like to begin today as we read in Acts chapter 19. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And it happened in verse 1 of chapter 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? <clears throat> so they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism, speaking of John the Baptist. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to, all, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. The Bible is teaching us here that this is simply from my notes that a mere belief that Jesus was a good man, that he was a prophet, or was a man used by God somewhat like Moses is not enough to be saved. The Bible says in the book of James that even the demons believe that there's only one God. It's not enough just to believe that Jesus existed, or that he was a good person, or that he worked miracles, or that God was using him in mighty ways. That's not enough to be born again. It takes the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and to regenerate our being and be born again. Amen. We're saved when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He was the long-awaited Messiah, that He took our sins upon Himself, died on the cross, and rose again the third day. That's when a person is born again. Just simply getting baptized in water doesn't do it. Just simply praying some prayer at an altar doesn't do it. But when you truly believe that these things are true and you confess your sins unto Jesus Christ, you have become born again. And you will know the difference. There's something in you that changes when the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit begins all of a sudden to change everything, the way you think about life, the way you think and the way you talk and the way you do everything. He begins to change you from the inside out. Now there's a big lot of denomination out here that says, well, as long as you can speak in tongues, you're on the right track. I know people that spoke in tongues behind the pulpit and was sleeping with other men's wives. It doesn't, it's not a cure-all for anything. But the simple fact that you believe in Jesus Christ and you put all your trust in Him, that is what is evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now I believe in speaking in tongues. I've done it before in my life. But that's not the cure-all to end all. It's to be born again, praise God. To be born again by the Spirit, amen, praise the Lord. When we believe these things and put all our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, very something important, if you, if you don't gain anything else today, please gather this. When you believe those things and put your trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, He, meaning Jesus, baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. There are some people who have perverted a thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They have perverted it and think it's some kind of supernatural, super duper thing that makes you uh, better than everybody else. The Bible says in the book of Matthew 
Chapter 3, when John the Baptist was talking about Jesus, he said that Jesus himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will cause the Holy Spirit to come up in, into you and cause you to be a new person, born again, changed from the inside out. Praise God. The fruit of a changed life is what proves to me whether somebody's born again. I'm not saying whether or not we make mistakes. We all make mistakes, don't we? We have wrong thoughts. We say wrong words. We have wrong attitudes sometimes. But we're always held in check by who? The Holy Spirit will keep us in check. That's how we know we're born again. And that's what had happened to this group of people here. They just simply believed that they were supposed to get baptized under whatever John was talking about. That we need to try to do better. Need to try to live a better life. So they were baptized into that. Said, we don't even know what you're talking about. What is the Holy Spirit? And Paul said, I'm going to teach you about the Holy Spirit. And the only access you have to the Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. Because He is the one who does the baptizing. Let me read that to you if you want to make a note. I, I decided that I thought we might ought to read that to, uh, this morning before I move on. I'll just read it to you if you want to look at it later. It's Matthew 3 and verse 11 and 12. John the Baptist himself spoke these words. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The Holy Spirit will make a change in your life, the true Holy Spirit. Not what everybody else tells you He's going to do. Not what all these other people say they have experienced. The Holy Spirit will change your life. Hallelujah. <clears throat> It'll make you a new creature. By faith in the Son of God. Amen? Amen. That's why with confidence we can say that an unlikely candidate went to be with the Lord last Sunday. Amen? Everybody else we know that has died, but maybe before we was ready for them to pass away, if they died in the Lord, guess what? They went to be with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Verse 8. <clears throat> and when he went to the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God, but when some were hardened... <coughs> and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, which was talking about the Christian way, before the multitude he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. It's interesting to note here, and I just wanted to share this with you. Paul is now at Ephesus. We learned that in verse 1. Ephesus, of course, we've talked about, was a city in Asia, the place Paul was forbidden to go by the Holy Spirit in Acts 16 and 6. Several years, probably at least two, had passed since Acts 16 and 6, and now the regions in Asia were going to hear the gospel. A church would be established in Ephesus and become a major spoke in the Christian wheel in Asia. The book of the Ephesians, which is just a couple books over in the Bible, was written to encourage the Christians at the church in Ephesus, and the church in Ephesus is also mentioned by Jesus Himself in Revelation 2, 1-7. So this is the beginning of what was getting ready to become the Ephesian church. One of the first things Paul did was telling people, you need to be born again 
in the name of Jesus, not just turning over a new leaf and becoming a better person. How many religions out there, all the other ones, I'll tell you right now the answer to that question. How many other religions is a works-oriented religion? All of them. What do I do to find favor with God so that I can have a better eternity or a better life here? Every single one of them. And there's a whole lot of Christian denominations that do it too. But it's a works-oriented thing. But the Christian message is that Christ accomplished it all. And now you need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to have Him come into your life to change you. To be born again. And you cannot live for the Lord Jesus Christ unless you're born again. You'll be one of these people that you just do good for a little while. Everybody can turn over a new leaf for a little while, right? Think about a diet. We can all go real good on a diet for a few weeks, a few months, right? Lose all kinds of weight. We feel better about ourselves. Two years later, we've gained all that back and more. Right? I've been there and done that. I finally told Michelle, I said, I'm just going to have to make a few adjustments each day because I'm not going to give up my, my yeast rolls. I'm not plum giving them up. They're too good dipped in that brown gravy with the mashed potatoes. Just too good to let go of. Right? The Lord made the taters, so I think we ought to be able to eat a few of them from time to time. Amen. But anyhow, that's what I'm saying. We can't just... Everybody can turn over a new leaf for a little while. We can become a better person in the name of religion for a little while. But eventually that wears off. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he was teaching these people in this unlikely place. We're getting ready to find out it was full of idols and pagan worshipers. They even get mad about it here in just a few minutes. We'll find that out. So Ephesus is an unlikely place. Let's take a look at verse 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the entrant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord call to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was... <clears throat> leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on all them, fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And in verse 20 says, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. <coughs> Excuse me. Now depending on what kind of church you go to, oh, I'm going to get on some, somebody's toes today. Not in here, I don't think, but maybe some people have been listening to our podcast. Depending on what kind of church you go to, the only thing you're going to draw out of that was, oh, bless God, Paul worked great miracles. And they took handkerchiefs from him and 
things and, and evil spirits was cast out of people just coming in contact with it. I want you to notice something very important. Something we've seen all through the book of Acts and we're going to see it here and I'll point it out to you. Miracles are to bring glory to God and not to man. Take a look at verse 11. That passage we read, now Paul worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. It's not what it says, is it? Look how it's worded. Now God worked unusual miracles. Don't ever let yourself be lifted up when God uses you for something, thinking that it was you or your goodness. It was God who did it. And He deserves the glory and the honor for it. Amen? And we ought to thank God that He used us, right? Lord, I don't know. I was thinking about it this morning here in the sanctuary by myself. I don't know why the Lord uses us people who, some, who fail so much. You ever thought about that? He uses people who fail. Look at King David. Look at Peter. But He uses them nonetheless because they love Him. Amen? Look at verse 17. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on all them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Who gets the glory for the strange, unusual miracles? The Lord Jesus. And the last one in verse 20. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Praise God. May the Lord receive all the honor and glory for anything good done in His name. Amen. Amen. Now verses 13 through 16, I just let's read back through those real quickly again. I have one little note for you on those. Verse 13, it says, Now some of the entrant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Not just got a whooping, tore their clothes off of them, beat them up real good. Now you imagine the embarrassment of what would happen. Seven guys getting defeated by one. Not only just defeated, stripped down, you don't even have no clothes on. What's the point here that we need to learn? Those who are trying to impersonate God's ministers will not succeed in spiritual warfare. These fellows had no connection to the Lord Jesus Christ and the evil spirits knew it. I see a lot of people on TV and hear people quoting and, and sharing things from such and such supposed to be some big prophet of God. And they have declared and decreed that in the heavenlies they have some kind of a power over spiritual things. And it turns around they didn't have any power whatsoever. Why is that? You can fool people. But you don't fool unclean spirits. And if you're going to fool around with unclean spirits, you better have fully well know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because they know who belongs to Him. Amen? They knew right here who belonged to Jesus and who didn't. Because when these guys came in and tried to impersonate it, guess what happened? They were utterly defeated. Imposters may fool people, but unclean spirits know the difference. And I said all that to say this. In verse 18 and 19, 
And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. I said that to say this this morning, that the lesson Christians need to learn from this passage. Christians have no business dabbling in wizardry or the things associated with what the Bible calls familiar spirits. Things like Ouija boards, horoscopes, fortune tellers, mediums, psychics, tarot cards, etc., etc. People try to just shrug those things off and say, well, that stuff's not real. It absolutely is real. There's unclean spirits behind those things. And when you start dabbling in those things, guess what's going to happen? Your life is going to become a shambles. And the, Lord, and the, the unclean spirits will begin to defeat you one time right after another, after another, after another. Leave those things alone. We have no business fooling with them things. Just like these guys, the unclean spirits know the difference. They know what's going on. So don't dabble in those things. That's one thing that did transfer from the Old Testament into the New. They were told in the Old Testament, forbidden, don't you mess around with those things. Remember King Saul? He started messing around with them. Messed himself up real bad. It's the same thing in the New Testament. Do not fool around with that junk. Amen? Because there's no, no good things going to come from it. Don't give the devil an avenue into your life. Amen? So don't fool with them things. The, the unclean spirits knows the difference. In verse 21, <coughs> when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Aristus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana uh, may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. This was a temple, this was a, a false god, and they had made a great temple in this city to her, and they worshipped this idol. We learn here that it's not much different than it is in our world today. <clears throat> There's good money in ungodliness. It's a good way to summarize that, isn't it? There's a lot of money in ungodliness in this world today. Always has been, always will be. We're not going to change that. But here in this case, there was good money in the worship even of idols in the city of Ephesus. <clears throat> Think about this. When people started abandoning idol worship, they quit purchasing items that had been made specifically for the idol worship. And so now these guys who made their living making these, these things out of silver and whatever they made, people quit buying it. And you know how the world works. 
If you're making something, as long as people are buying it, you're in good shape. But when people quit buying what you make, you got to do something else, right? So these guys become very upset and they're saying, hey, something's got to give. We got to get these guys through out of here because they had so affected this ungodly, unlikely place with the gospel that it was actually hurting the local economy because people were just abandoned. I'm not worshiping an idol anymore. I'm going to worship Jesus. So they quit buying all these things. So this had a big ripple effect in that community, didn't it? Amen. This caused them to be out of a job and they became very upset. And what happens next is uh, very common to our world is a, a, a mob happens, a riot in other words, I guess. So in verse 29, So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. <clears throat> having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. These were a couple guys that was traveling with Paul. And when Paul wanted to go in to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. So this big mob is happening, this riot's happening, everybody's upset, and this person gets upset, well, the person next to them says, well, he's all upset, I, what are we upset about? And they go running into this theater, and everybody's ready to cut somebody's head off, and when they get to finding out, half the people there don't even know why they've come together. What do we learn from this? We need to be very wise in the people we hang out with. We need to be very wise in the, in the things we get behind, the movements we get behind. There's been a lot of things went on in our world this last year, year and a half, that people just automatically assumed, oh, this is just great, we'll get behind it. And now all of a sudden they're finding out these things are completely evil. They were steeped in devilish things. We learned... On January 6th, no matter what we think about it, we all know that there was a lot of underhanded things went on up there in our nation's capital. And most of the people that gathered there were not there to try to overthrow any government or anything. We understand that. But we also understand that the Holy Spirit, at least eight, seven, eight years ago, had warned this very church, this group of people, if you were here then, to be very careful about going to protests in the near future. Because they were going to might seem for a good cause, but they were going to turn bloody and gather up people that otherwise wouldn't have been involved. And now we're finding out that people went to this rally up there when the Holy Spirit had been telling for a long time, you better not, you better be careful, you better be careful. Guess what happened? A lot of good people got sucked into that thing and now their pictures are on cameras behind the gates where they weren't supposed to be that day. And guess what? They're getting fined and getting arrested and things like that. People who, who had never done anything wrong in their life, they just got sucked in by the vortex of that evil thing going on. So that's what we say. We have to be guided by the Holy Spirit in all things. And just like what was happening here, these people got sucked in because a few of them were mad. And guess what? They got to realizing, well, we don't even, what are we even here for? What's going on? So we have to be very wise. Be very careful what we get ourselves involved in, okay? That's one of the practical things. The Bible, you'll not find anything more spiritual than the Bible. You'll also not find anything more practical than the Bible. This is good practical advice. Be very careful and be used wisdom 
in every part of our life when we get involved. Amen? Amen. And then these last few verses, starting in verse 33. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. That's a pretty long worship service, wasn't it? For these pagans, two hours, they just kept on drowning everybody else out, worshiping this false god. Verse 35, And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? They thought that this image they were worshiping had fell down from their god Zeus. Okay, Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. Most all nations have civil laws and courts to deal with issues between people, and cooler heads are usually always going to prevail. That's why we, as even as Christians, we have to be very wise in the movements and the things we get behind. Right? We just don't know. And see, he was this guy was understanding here. This, this head of the city there, he's understanding... Look, the Romans are getting ready to come down on us and want to know what this is all about and what's this big uprising about, and we really don't have anything to answer. We don't even really know what what are we here for because these guys are preaching about some other god. Is that why we're going to bring the wrath of the Roman government down on us? So we have to be wise in these things. Amen? We have to be very wise. Just because we agree with something doesn't mean we need to go be part of the big crowd because what happens in a crowd? I heard people give testimony, and or and not testimony, I guess, or whatever. They were witnesses to it. They said we were standing, and we were here, and there was a person in front of me, and there was people behind me. Next thing we know, the gates get broken down, and you're getting pushed from behind, and you either went with the crowd or you got stampeded. So you, we have to be careful who we associate with. Anything we want to do like that, I'll give you some good advice. Take it to the Lord. Lord, should I be involved in this or should I go to this or whatever? And He will give you the guidance because we see a lot of people have caused themselves a lot of hurt. A lot of Christian people I know and they're still examining footage and there's a lot of people that haven't been caught yet or haven't been brought in to be questioned that may be here in the future. So we have to be wise. Use wisdom. But in our, in our lesson today, to go back to our title, Christianity came to an unlikely place. The message of the gospel came to Ephesus. And we see what a stronghold the devil had on it, right? That its commerce and its uh, economy thrived because of ungodliness. And when God brought the gospel there through Paul and some of these other guys, it so changed the people that it turned that city upside down. 
to the point now we see that they're ready to throw them out on their heads, right? The gospel came to an unlikely city. And the gospel came to an unlikely human being in you and me. I'm thankful today that it came to me. And I'm thankful that it came to you. Let's close with prayer this morning. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. God, we give you thanks. <clears throat> Thank you for the word which we've read here today. Thank you for your, your presence. Thank you for thy spirit. I pray, Lord, just like our message today, that the gospel came to an unlikely place. We thank you, Lord, that it came to an unlikely human in every one of us. We thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, as we learned here today to, to be wise, to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be let Him lead us and guide us in every decision we make, in everything we do. And help us, Lord, to be wise like You instructed us in the Gospels, to be wise about everything we do who we hang out with, the things we get involved with, all of those things. Help us to be wise Christians, Lord, and those who follow you and do everything that we're supposed to do. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for each and every person that you keep them safe today and go with them. Watch over them as we've learned <clears throat> this week, Lord. There could be someone here today. It's the last time we get to speak to them. So we pray, Lord, that you just keep them safe and give them health until the appointed time we meet again. We ask it in Jesus' name today. Amen and amen.